Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral simpler communications start a journey not a fad kick off your fitness journey with up to five hundred dollars off peloton bike bike plus or tread packages choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes heart rate band non-slip grip dumbbells and more join now and you'll see why 92 percent of households that start the year with peloton are still active a year later all access membership separate offer ends january 8th 2023 excludes bike bike plus and tread basics see additional terms at onepeloton.com hey there md nation i want to let you guys know that today's podcast is presented to you by podgo podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast providing podcasts with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from podgo Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That is podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to mention this show when you sign up, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, during your application. Again, that's podgo.co. And now for the show. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, Empty Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you. By Belly Up Sports, as always, I'm your host, Dan Mader. We got a full-fledged episode for you guys today, as I was away a little bit this weekend. That's why we are not back until now, until Tuesday morning. We didn't do our recap of the week Monday morning like we normally would. We're going to be doing that and the Waiver Wire Report all in today's show. So it was a jam-packed show we have for you guys today. Very excited to do it. Very excited to be back and into it. Of course, we'll be back on Thursday and Friday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Make sure you watch along. You can watch along on Facebook or Twitter at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network 
media handles, or of course on the app, which is the easiest and best way to listen to the show in a given week. So we'll be back on Thursday and Friday, 12 to one thirty, at our regularly scheduled programming. But today, like I said, Big episode. We're going to recap all of Week 10 today, except for the Thursday night recap, which we did back on Friday. And, of course, go over the waiver wire report for you guys. Because we're jam-packing that all into one episode today, we are going to try to keep the fantasy analysis of each recap maybe a little bit more summarized than we normally would so we can get through it at a normal-ish amount of time. So about an hour, an hour and a half or so. That way we're not keeping you guys and you get to listen to your entire episode during your commutes or wherever it is that you listen to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, also available to you on any one of your favorite streaming apps, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you'd like to go. The MD's Fantasy Football Show, widely available to you. And we've been working overtime. We had a lot of news come out today, Monday. Uh, a lot of news for Monday, quite frankly, as far as the injury front goes. Make sure you're always following us along on Twitter at, at BellyUpMDFFShow for all those news and update notifications at all times. Same thing goes for Facebook as well. So let's hop right into it. Like I said, we have a lot we got to talk about in today's show. Let's get right into the Jacksonville Jaguars, Green Bay Packers, kicking off the early window of games from Sunday. This game wound up being a lot tighter than what we expected it to be. There was a lot of wins, some bad weather in this game as well. But Aaron Rodgers was still every bit the quarterback you wanted him to be. 325 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the one pick. Who cares? Also tax on a rushing touchdown. Aaron Rodgers continues to be a top three fantasy quarterback every single week. That's not going to change anytime soon. And of course, where would he be without his partner in crime? Devontae Adams with eight catches, 66 yards, and 12 targets. Continues to get his double-digit targets every single week. Now, I know we look at the box score. You're going to look at the stat line. You're going to notice, oh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had one of his big games that he is known for having from time to time. Four catches, 149 yards, a touchdown on six targets. The difference is Alan Lazard is expected to be activated on Wednesday, which means he should be expected to play this upcoming Sunday. We know what Marquez Valdez-Scantling is. We know that he'll have a big game like this and disappear for the next four weeks. Nothing fantasy noteworthy to take into consideration moving forward at all whatsoever. I think the only thing he really came away disappointed with as a Green Bay Packers fantasy owner would be Aaron Jones not having a huge game in a questionable weather game against a terrible run defense, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Only 13 carries, 46 yards, not very efficient on the day. The running game in general for the Green Bay Packers was not very efficient. Even Jamal Williams wasn't much better at 3.8 yards a carry to Aaron Jones' 3.5. And then he did tack on, however, five catches for 49 yards and six targets so he gives you the floor game that you're needing they're looking for but Aaron Jones between being hurt and now the past couple of weeks has not really given you the big Aaron Jones type game lately it's coming soon don't you worry no reason to panic for people out there with Jamal Williams you have to continue to have roster him at any given point we know what he can be now without Aaron Jones in the lineup and frankly if they continue with the split that they had in this game, not that I really expect that to be the case, but if they were to, Jamal Williams is somebody who would be knocking on the door at a flex value position, especially when you're talking about half-point and full-point PPR leagues. Again, don't expect that to be the case. I think Aaron Jones is going to be taking over sooner rather than later, having one of his big games soon, which means Jamal Williams is really nothing more than a high-end handcuff who needs to be owned in all leagues because he could definitely be a lottery ticket where Aaron Jones to hurt himself again, let's say. So... Keep that in mind. But as far as Packers go, 
Nobody's fantasy value really changed for me. Robert Tanyan, three catches, 33 yards on four targets, which was pretty much right in line with almost every other tight end this entire week as that position was just absolutely dreadful across the board. Robert Tanyan now, though, he has not really been anything since Devontae Adams has returned. There's just not enough targets to go around for a guy like Robert Tanyan as a tight end of the Green Bay Packers to really have a big impact. So Tanyan is somebody who is not really going to be in my consideration too much more moving forward, even as a streaming option, really, unless circumstances were to change there with the Green Bay Packers. Flip it on the other side of the ball, go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The big play that you wanted to have in this one was James Robinson. 23 carries, 109 yards, he tacked on two catches for three yards, nothing big there, but has over the 100-yard game, has a solid game. Didn't score the touchdown, so he doesn't get the big end, you know, RB1 type of game that he possibly could have had here against the Green Bay Packers, but still had a good game at the end of the day, which is what you wanted him for. The only other person I think we were really considering playing was DJ Chark. There was no Jair Alexander, but again, a lot of high wins create a lot of issues with the passing game, especially for Jake Luton, who was not very good in this game. 18 of 35, 169 yards, did have a touchdown, did have an interception. A touchdown, of course, going to Keelan Cole, who also had the special teams touchdown. So he wound up having, actually having a really big fantasy day, even though it wasn't huge on the stat line outside of the touchdown. Five catches, 47 yards. The only thing interesting of note that I'm going to take out of this game is that Chris Conley was actually the lead target on the day. We went from having DJ Chark, who was the first read every single time Jake Luton dropped back, and I was feeling confident that that meant he was going to get the target share moving forward, didn't have J.L. Alexander to compete with in this game, and yet still wound up being third in targets behind Keelan Cole, behind Chris Conley. It just kind of makes you feel like that's been the season of DJ Chark, where it looks like he finally's going to get targeted, he's finally going to be the guy, and then all of a sudden, the next following game, he's the third guy on the list. And by the way, LaVisca Chanel is expected to be back this upcoming week as well. You still play DJ Chark as a wide receiver three, but... He continually has to fight with his own teammates to get the target share he needs to be that consistent wide receiver, too, that, frankly, he should be. Now, like I said, a lot of bad weather in this game, a lot of high winds, definitely affected the passing game without a doubt, but it doesn't affect where the targets go, and that was the big issue I took out with this game after being hopeful that the change to Jake Luton meant more targets for DJ Chark. So something we're going to have to watch closely moving forward. Let's move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Carolina Panthers. This game was close in the beginning, but it wound up becoming everything I expected it to be, which was the Buccaneers, or I should say the Carolina Panthers, running to the a buzzsaw of a rebounding Tampa Bay Buccaneer team. Teddy Bridgewater honestly played better than I expected him to. He does walk away with the knee injury. However, it sounds like it's mild. It sounds like he's actually going to be able to play this Sunday, so that's the good news there. Had two touchdowns, interception in this game. Also ran it in for a touchdown. Not that many people were playing him for fantasy purposes, especially against the Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense. But if you did, you actually wound up with a better-than-expected day out of a Teddy Bridgewater, I think, without a doubt. Again, sounds like he's going to play, which more importantly than whether or not Teddy Bridgewater is a streaming option, which he probably won't be for us this week due to the injury, due to their matchup, what it does maintain, though, is what you expect out of Robbie Anderson, what you can expect out of DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Mike Davis, all of those guys. You have a better idea of what you're getting out of them fantasy-wise as long as Teddy Bridgewater is able to maintain in the game, which I do expect him to do in this one. Mike Davis was eh, seven, ca- seven carries, excuse me, 32 yards, tacked on four catches for 12 yards. 
just he's really fallen off after his first couple of weeks. He hasn't been as involved, hasn't had the nice stat line. Now you knew you knew this wasn't gonna be a great game for him. It's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're not an easy team to run on. You're pretty much just hoping that if you're in half point, full point PPR league, he would continue to get enough receptions to give you a high floor. And he still had four receptions in this one. So that's really all you were looking for. Still wasn't a great fantasy day, but not every matchup is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Christian McCaffrey's already been ruled out for this upcoming week. So Mike Davis is somebody I think you're going to have to continue to play as an RB2 this upcoming Sunday. That's not going to change there. Receiving-wise, DJ Moore, for I think first time that I can remember in a long time, he actually led the team in, in targets by one. He had seven targets to Robbie Anderson, six. Had the four catches, 96 yards, a touchdown. Coming on a nice 38-yard screens when he scored off of. Had a nice play there. Everything else was just very mediocre. Robbie Anderson, four catches for only 21 yards. Curtis Samuel was an afterthought. Three catches, eight yards, five targets. This is exactly what I'm talking about when it came to Curtis Samuel. When everybody else was telling you guys to pick him up last week, he's such a hot commodity, yada, yada, yada. He's going to be involved in this way. He's the big guy. He's the guy who's on fire. He's rendering DJ more useless. What happens? Well, guess what? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, Curtis Samuel is still just a piece of this offense, but he's not a featured weapon of this offense, and there's a huge difference. The feature weapons of this offense are Robbie Anderson and sometimes DJ Moore. Curtis Samuel, if he gets worked in, great, but I'm not trying to roll the dice on him on any given week when he can disappear and not and almost ghost you the way he basically did in this matchup here. That's what Curtis Samuel is. He doesn't have enough of a floor for me to want to roll the dice on a guy who potentially could have a decent ceiling. There's a lot of other options out there that I'd rather take my shots on. So let's move over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers side of the ball. Tom Brady, big, big bounce back game. No doubt about that. 341 yards, three touchdowns. We expected him to have a much better game. Chris Godwin has six catches, 92 yards on six targets. Antonio Brown, seven receptions, 69 yards on eight targets. But the big guy on the day, and I have to say I was kind of surprised by, and it was nice to see, was Mike Evans, 11 targets, by far the leading target receiver, Gets a touchdown, six catches, 77 yards. This offense is going to be able to sustain three wide receivers. They just are. All three, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, are going to be guys that you can play every single week. Now, are they going to, are any of them going to be wide receiver ones? No. Are any of them even going to be high-end wide receiver twos? Most likely not. But mid-level wide receiver twos to wide receiver threes, all three of these guys can be plugged and played in your lineup. We have a couple of games now of data where all three of them got heavily involved throughout the game process. With Tom Brady, this game against Carolina is closer to what he actually is than what we saw against the New Orleans Saints. He is able to go one-on-one. He's able to get the guy who's actually open. He's not. He doesn't have to key on any one particular player. And as a result of that, because he's Tom Brady, because he can spread the ball out so effectively, all three of these guys are people that you can play in your lineups every single week. I truly believe that. Now, I know there's some news coming out. Antonio Brown back in the news, of course, again today. Apparently, it's something that happened before he signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that they are claiming that they were well aware of. So we'll see exactly how that plays out for now. Antonio Brown is expected to be able to play this Sunday and moving forward with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers until we hear otherwise. We know how that goes, though, with Antonio Brown. Rob Gronkowski, two catches, 51 yards, a touchdown, three targets, enough to make him the number one tight end on the day. 
That's how. That's just how bad the tight end situation was. That was enough to make him the number one tight end of the week. And in a way, it's like, okay, well, he got to produce along with the other guys, but the targets, three targets. Since Antonio Brown's been in there, which has only been two games again, Rob Gronkowski's kind of been more of the odd man out, the fourth man out. And it, that is probably going to be the case. He's still going to be a factor in the red zone. I have no doubt about that. He's still going to be a weapon. He's still going to be a guy that you're going to be able to play hovering around that top 10 tight end situation just because of his touchdown capability, because that's all it takes. But you're going to have to be a little bit leery. I think there's a little bit of a lower floor heading in Rob Gronkowski's future than there really had been over the past few weeks where you have come to sustain and expect a certain amount of involvement within the offense. I think if they're going to be continuing to be able to play all three of these wide receivers, Rob Gronkowski is going to have to be made to suffer. Now, of course, I'm not bearing the lead here. The number one thing was Ronald Jones, his stat line, 23 carries, 192 yards, a touchdown, a 98-yard scamper. He even had a fumble in this game. He had a drop in this game. And yet, unlike the other weeks before, instead of just turning it over to Leonard Fournette, they stuck with Ronald Jones. Fournette, only eight carries for 19 yards. Only two catches for 11 yards. All I take out of this situation, it's not that I feel all of a sudden confident that I can play Ronald Jones now heading into next week. All I take out of this situation is that I have absolutely no idea who I'm going to rank ahead of who, who I'm actually going to want to play, who I'm going to trust to play, none, zero, zero clue. What Bruce Arians is thinking, what kind of leash Ronald Jones is on, because the typical things that has yanked Ronald Jones from the games in the past happened in this game, and yet this time they decided to stick with him. I don't know. I have no idea. I know this. I'm not going to have any confidence playing a Tampa Bay running back anytime soon unless somebody were to get injured or to suddenly just be clearly defined as the guy. And I don't think that's going to happen without an injury. So you plot you pretty much you rank these guys as RB3s every single week. Ronald Jones a little bit ahead of Leonard Fournette because he has been the one who has started every single week, even when Leonard Fournette has been healthy. Leonard Fournette has yet to start. But it's gonna go back and forth, and I'm not gonna feel confident about playing either one of them if I find myself in a situation where I have to. Even coming off of a game where Ronald Jones nearly got 200 yards, I still would not feel confident playing him next week. That's just how crazy the situation is with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, unfortunately. So let's move into the worst weather game, I guess you could say, because it actually had a delay to it to kick off, which was the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans. The Browns coming and winning that game 10-7. to Doing what we pretty much expected them to do. Run, run, run the football. Not only was it a bad weather game against the Houston Texans, who can't stop anything on the ground anyway, Nick Chubb was back in the lineup. And what happened? Well, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt split the carries down the middle. 19 apiece. Both went over 100 yards. Chubb had a touchdown. Of course, everybody wants to point out Chubb should have had two touchdowns and could have had two touchdowns, and I wish he would have had two touchdowns. Didn't wind up coming to fruition. The only difference in the touches was Kareem Hunt got three catches and 28 yards on four targets, where Nick Chubb, of course, was not really involved in the pass game at all and will continue to not do so. I ranked these both of these guys as RB1s going into the week. Kareem Hunt not scoring will be a little bit tough, but he's going to be right there in the cusp. I think you can look at both of these guys. I think the argument can be made you can look at both of these guys as top 12 guys from a week-to-week basis. At the very least, Nick Chubb is an RB1 with Kareem Hunt as a very high-end 
RB2, I think, at worst. Both of these guys need to be must-plays in your lineups, and I think they're both better. Or at least, I think Nick Chubb is a superstar in the making and will be when Kareem Hunt moves on finally. But I think Kareem Hunt is actually better with Nick Chubb in the lineup than without. I think this Cleveland offense is better when they can feature Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and have everything else build off of that. What does that mean for the passing game moving forward? Look, you can't take anything out of this game when it came to the wide receivers, when it came to Baker Mayfield, just given the circumstances of the weather surrounding it. Jarvis Landry, of course, led the day with the targets. He had five targets in this game, three catches, 29 yards. Only in the perfect situations are you going to want to play Jarvis Landry as a wide receiver four, low-end wide receiver three type of player. I still believe there's volume headed his way. The Browns will have to throw the ball at some point. He is where the ball will most likely go. But there's always going to be a low floor because remember back Kirk Cousins a year ago where he was only throwing the ball 18 to 20 times. That is very much within the realm of possibility to be the case when it comes to a Jarvis Landry and having to deal with very little volume out of Baker Mayfield in general because the Browns are being so successful running the football. Think back to the beginning of the year outside of week one against the Baltimore Ravens. What were the Cleveland Browns doing? They were just running the football and playing good defense. That's what they're going to try to do the rest of the way. They're 6-3. and three. They're on the cusp making the playoffs, even that tough AFC North division. That's what I expect to see out of this team. So Jarvis Landry is the only pass catcher I'm contemplating because it has to be in a situation where I know that the Cleveland Browns are going to have to be forced to throw the ball at least 25 to 30 times a game for me to feel comfortable about that. But that's where the targets will wind up going when they have to throw the football. So he should be owned, but I'm not super excited to play him in any given week. Not playing Rashard Higgins. Austin Hooper, one catch, 11 yards, two targets. Again, can't take much out of this passing game, but Austin Hooper was already somebody who I didn't feel trustworthy about because of his play and his involvement or lack thereof so far this season anyway. So he just falls into a long list of guys that could potentially be streamers any given week, but I'm never going to feel great about uh, no matter what the situation is for them. As far as Houston Texans side of things go, the biggest disappointment I take out of this was Duke Johnson. because, And not necessarily Duke Johnson's fault, but how on God's green earth, Duke Johnson, whose best asset is catching the football, not get targeted, well, I'm sorry, got targeted once in this game, not get a reception in a game with bad weather where check down and short throws needed to be had, and yet Duke Johnson gets one target. Now, this has been an ongoing issue for the Houston Texans all season long, Ex- you know, separate from a bad weather game here against Cleveland, where they just refuse to throw the ball to the running back, even though whether it's David Johnson or Duke Johnson, that's one of the best skill sets they have. It's one of the best areas to get them involved with your game plan, and yet you still just outright refuse to throw these guys the ball and make easy checkdowns for Deshaun Watson. I don't know if it's Watson who just refuses to check the ball down to his running backs every once in a while to make things easy. I don't know if it's just not part of the game plan. But here's what I'm going to tell you. David Johnson goes on the IR, so he's out for the next three weeks at least. Duke Johnson's going to be the guy. But Duke Johnson is not going to be an RB2, a low-end RB2. He's going to be a low-end RB3 if he's not going to get involved in the passing game at all. If he can't see at least four to five targets a game while David Johnson is out, you're going to have a lot of low-floor games out of Duke Johnson over the next couple of weeks. And everybody's going to want to play him as a low-end RB2 because he's going to be the guy getting all the work. And if you have a running back getting all the work, you pretty much play him as an automatic RB2. But if he's not getting any work in the passing game because they're just refusing to use the running backs in that capacity, regardless of who it is, 
then he's going to have a very low floor. So that's something that has to get corrected. Otherwise, I'm not trying to play Duke Johnson for his rushing potential, which has never really been there, not in a ceiling sense anyway. So something we're going to have to watch and contemplate, and we'll talk more about on Thursday and Friday when we're doing the preview for Week 11. Deshaun Watson wasn't very good in this game, 163 yards, a touchdown, also tacked on 36 yards rushing. He's a low-end QB. He's a he's a low-end QB1. He's going to have better games than this ahead, obviously, but the Houston Texan offense in general has so, been very so not exciting, not very high-ceiling, not high-scoring, as they really should be with the weapons that they have with Deshaun Watson. They've been very just okay all the time, basically. And as a result of that, Deshaun Watson's not tapping into what should be top five quarterback potential. He's just not. As far as the pass catchers go, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, both split top at eight targets apiece. Cooks, six catches, 39 yards. Fuller, five catches, 38 yards. Here's the one thing I'll say. Since Bill O'Brien has left, Brandon Cooks has established himself alongside Will Fuller as a pretty much a 1A, 1B situation now over the past month and a half now almost. So continue to play Brandon Cooks. I continue to play him as a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two. Will Fuller as a solid wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. It's going to be a big game where he's able to make a big play. None of that changes, and it's been pretty consistent now as far as the target share between those two go over the past, I would say, over a month now, where you can go ahead and fire them both up with confidence. Randall Cobb technically leads the way with 41 yards, but only five targets continues to be the third wheel to that Houston Texans wide receiver party. And that hasn't changed either. So now we got we get into Washington, we get into Detroit Lions. We get into a game that we almost saw the Detroit Lions yet again find a way to blow it. And I thought they were going to. And really, frankly, they should have. Absolutely amazing that Prater comes through on a 59-yard field goal because the Lions were a breath away from finding a way to implode yet again. Alex Smith, we all know the story. Welcome back. 390 yards. I give him nothing but credit. 38-55. It was the Alex Smith of old. It, it's Captain Checkdown City. That's why J.D. McKissick was somebody I had as a low-end RB2, especially in half-point, full-point PPR leagues. That's why he was somebody who I'll continue to have in that range as a high-end RB3, because as long as Alex Smith plays, J.D. McKissick is going to get targeted an ungodly amount. I talked about that heading into this game on Thursday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. He had 15 targets in this game. He has been targeted a ridiculous amount of times when Alex Smith has been the starting quarterback. That's not going to change. 
Jay McKissick getting close to or over double-digit targets a week is very much in the realm of possibility from here on out as long as Alex Smith is a starting quarterback. And unless there's an injury, and I really hope there isn't after watching him come back, he's going to continue to be the quarterback. It's not going to be Dwayne Haskins at any point this season. Kyle Allen's done for the year. So J.D. McKissick is going to be somebody who needs to be in your lineup, especially when you talk about half-point, full-point PPR leagues, every single week as a high, high-floor play. And if he scores a touchdown like he did in this game, all of a sudden he takes that to a nice high-end RB2, possibly low-end RB1 performance in that sense. So these are all things that are going to be happening from here on out, I believe. Terry McLaurin... The only wide receiver I think is worth anything for the Washington Football Club. Seven catches, 95 yards, nine targets. He'll continue to get targeted throughout. He's a hell of a player. He can, It only takes one play for him to break it to the house. He can break it on any play, whether it's a screen, a slant, anything. He doesn't need Alex Smith necessarily to throw him the ball deep in order for him to have a big play. I feel safe about his floor and his ceiling with his ability. Outside of that, I'm not touching anybody else in this Washington passing game. Antonio Gibson, he scored two touchdowns. So at the end of the day, you're happy about his fantasy performance. But it was only 13 carries for 45 yards. Only three and a half yards a carry against the Detroit Lions. Who we've all seen be completely awful and just give up big run after big run after big run. And the fact that J.D. McKissick had 15 targets to Antonio Gibson's four is where I get a little bit worried about what is Antonio Gibson's value, what's his ceiling, what's his floor in the weeks upcoming where we know J.D. McKay is going to be heavily involved in the passing game, and if Gibson doesn't score, what is his floor? Because all of a sudden, that extra added passing attack that he should be more involved in goes out the window because that's going to be J.D. McKissick's territory. Now, did he get a little bit here? Yeah, he had four catches for 20 yards on four targets compared to 15 meaning you can't count on the receiving stats to be there to give him a floor. And that's where I worry. I worry if it's a game that I'm not confident Antonio Gibson can score in at the goal line, I'm going to be worried about what his floor is moving forward. So Alex Smith is really kind of hurting Antonio Gibson's value, especially with the way they use J.D. McKissick with Alex Smith back there at quarterback. So I'm going to kind of keep our eyes on moving forward again. Now, the Detroit Lions... That side of the ball. Matthew Stafford played really well. Three touchdowns in this game, 276 yards. I think the biggest thing I took out of this game was that for the first time since Kenny Galladay's been out, whether it's been beginning of the year or now for the past couple of weeks, it was the first time Marvin Jones actually looked like he took advantage of being the number one wide receiver. Ten targets, eight catches, 96 yards, a touchdown. These are the type of performances that we were expecting out of Marvin Jones when Kenny Galladay's been out every other time this season. This is the first time it finally happened where he actually looked good, he was actually involved, and he actually performed the way you expect him to with the target share you expect him to get with no Kenny Galladay. And it happened against Washington, who's been very stingy against the wide receiver position. So you weren't trusting it. Most people weren't playing it. Does this mean it's something to look for moving forward as long as Kenny Galladay continues to miss? And we'll be monitoring that. Make sure you're following us at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter for that player news update notification that we'll be keeping you up to date with throughout the week. But does that mean you could trust him moving forward? It makes it more interesting, 
I'll tell you that much. And we'll get into more of it when we do our rankings, when we do our algorithms, and kind of get into the matchups for Detroit Lions heading into Week 11. And I'll give you a better idea then of what I think about Marvin Jones heading into this week. But it definitely makes it more intriguing that you finally got to see Marvin Jones basically be Marvin Jones and what you would expect him to be. So it definitely becomes more intriguing moving forward. The other really cool thing that I saw in the Detroit Lions offense, DeAndre Swift finally getting the start. Not just getting the start. Because it wasn't just about that he started. He was the bell cow. Plain and simple. 16 carries to Adrian Peterson's four. Also tacked on five receptions for 68 yards. A touchdown on five targets. Was actually the second targeted pass catcher. 81 yards on the ground. Very good in this game in every capacity. Like I said, it wasn't just that DeAndre Swift started. It was the fact that he started and dominated the touches. DeAndre Swift very well could be a bell cow back from here on out and could wind up being a guy that we see on a lot of championship rosters down the stretch if he's going to actually continue to be the bell cow back because of what he can do in the passing game along with his big play capabilities on the ground. So very happy to finally see really the first team I've kind of seen actually be smart with their rookie and actually play him and give him the opportunity to shine. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, Kansas City, they gave that opportunity to CEH. Yeah, they did, and they didn't. They did. They signed Le'Veon Bell, and they decided they're not going to use the running back position altogether since signing Le'Veon Bell. And even then, I think any fantasy owner of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will tell you that he had a couple good games, but was never what they expected him to be even when he was getting all the work and the running back position was actually involved in the game plan. DeAndre Swift has a chance to be an actual league winner now from here on out if he's looking at this kind of role within the offense, which is what it should be for DeAndre Swift. The guy who should have been drafted to Kansas City, the guy who I always felt was the best running back in this draft class to begin with. So I'm very happy to see Swift get his opportunity here. TJ Hawkinson, two catches, 13 yards, four targets. I'm not going to hold this one against TJ Hawkins too much. Number one, he was coming in this game banged up. Number two, all the tight ends, as we noted, were terrible this week. Number three, I think he's still a top six tight end more times than not the rest of the way. So I'm not moving off of TJ Hawkins and being a tight end one for my team every single week. I'm not looking to move on from him there. Now we go from talking about Washington to keeping it within the NFC East. Talking about the Eagles, talking about the Giants. The Eagles once again finding a way to play all the way down to their competition. Unlike recent history, though, Carson Wentz was not able to put the team on his back at the end of the game to still come out with the victory. Just has not been playing well. And this game was supposed to be different. I mean, he's supposed to have his weapons back, coming off the bye, playing the Giants. And Wentz was terrible. 208 yards, no touchdowns. I mean, just terrible. I guess the New York Giants team of defense that should be had. And then on top of it, we get into the pass catcher part of it. And, you know, Alshon Jeffrey was targeted one time, so he wasn't a thing. We were talking about that, how there's a wide range of outcomes with Alshon Jeffrey coming back and how they're going to treat this whole matter. I talked about how I was worried about Travis Folga moving forward. I didn't expect him to only get one catch for eight yards when Alshon Jeffrey wasn't actually involved, though. It was like it didn't matter. Jalen Rager led the way with seven targets, but only four catches, 47 yards. Richard Rodgers, 
Richard Rodgers was the better tight end over Dallas Goddard. Four catches, 60 yards on five targets, while Goddard had four catches for 33 yards on six targets. Is that going to be a thing now? Now, they actually activated Zach Ertz for return today. That doesn't mean he's going to come back this week. It means they have 21 days to activate him to the active roster. We'll see exactly when that is. From my understanding, Zach Ertz isn't quite ready to come back just yet. But we're a couple weeks away from that. Dallas Goddard, who's supposed to be this guy that we all expected, myself included, that he would become a top 10 play, especially we know Zach Ertz, especially given the way this offense, normally speaking, operates. And yet, two games now has just been disappointing. Getting outplayed by Richard Rodgers. I think you still have to play Dallas Goddard as your tight end because it's just not better options. But man, oh man. It ain't pretty. It is not pretty. For this Eagles offense in general. Greg Ward, five catches, 39 yards, six targets. He's I don't you're not gonna care about him in fantasy purposes moving forward. Miles Sanders at least played well. Wasn't the big game that you were hoping for. 15 carries, 85 yards, two catches, 10 yards on five targets. But the thing I will take out of that is that he at least he played well. He really he was the lone bright spot of this entire Eagle offense, especially when you talk about from a fantasy perspective, because no one played Boston Scott, who had the big, you know, 56 yard touchdown. Nobody was playing Boston Scott. So from a fantasy perspective, from a team perspective, at least Miles Sanders playing well was the one silver lining of this game. And then you know he's back and healthy and getting his normal workload. Better days, I think, are still ahead for Wentz. He's been somebody who's been around that top 12 quarterback position. I think that'll continue to be the case. I think there are better days ahead for Dallas Goddard. But I do worry about Travis Fulgham moving forward as Alshon Jeffrey will continue to get more snaps and play more often. I do worry about when a Jalen Rager is somebody who's going to feel safe about playing for his big play capabilities. I worry about all that. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But right now, outside of Miles Sanders, I don't know how trustworthy I feel like any other Eagle fantasy player is. And then we flip things over to the Giants. Daniel Jones using his legs to be fantasy relevant in this one, but still nothing I'm going to be trusting as far as streamer goes. The big thing I took out of the Giants game was Wayne Gallman, who was already on a two-game touchdown streak, extends it to three, and has two touchdowns in this game. He wasn't efficient on the ground. I didn't expect him to be. 18 carries, 53 yards. But finds a way to get another two touchdowns. Alpha Morris was involved, but eight carries to his 18. Still clearly a guy who's just there to spell him. And I think the big thing is that Wayne Gallman is the guy they're turning to at the goal line. They're not turning to Alpha, the bigger Alpha Morris. They're letting it continue to be Wayne Gallman as long as that's the case. He's going to have some value. Devonta Freeman just went on the IR. He's going to be out for at least three weeks. So Gallman's somebody you're going to have to continue to play as a low-end RB2, high-end RB3, who apparently has pretty decent touchdown potential. Because that's all he's done the last three weeks. So somebody can kind of continue to play as a top flex play, frankly. As far as the wide receivers go, Darius Slayton, five catches, 93 yards on seven targets. Sterling Shepard, six catches, 47 yards on six targets. Both of them are wide receiver threes. Slayton has a little bit more of the upside, but Shepard has a little bit more of the floor. And you kind of just have to depend on who you're playing, what their matchup is, and what your roster construction is, and what type of player do you need more. 
I'm not super excited to play either one of them because we know just as easily Daniel Jones can, you know, crap the bed and completely make every one of them useless, essentially. We saw it last week. Darius Slate only had one catch, one target. Hasn't been utilized the way that he should be. But I think these guys are both low-end wide receiver threes. Who in a pinch, you can plug them in depending upon the matchup. Evan Ingram was nothing in this game. Two catches, 15 yards on three targets. Now, he's been more involved in that, normally speaking. And again, kind of like a lot of these tight ends, better days are ahead. And the one thing about Evan Ingram, while the stat line at no point this season really has been pretty, I have been able to find confidence in the involvement and the amount that the Giants want to try to go to him with the ball. So it just makes him a tight end that you can normally play with somewhat of a floor because you know he's going to be involved, basically. That's how it boils down to. Let's move into the big game of the week, the big storyline of the week. That was the Bills and the Cardinals. Of course, the ridiculous game-winning bomb touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins draped, have three defenders draped all over him, and somehow Kyler Murray not only makes the move to get that ball off, but somehow drops it in, and somehow DeAndre Hopkins catches it over all those other guys like playing jackpot in a schoolyard. It was absolutely insane. And that play, that play is what put DeAndre Hopkins over the top as far as a fantasy football perspective goes. It was a 43-yard touchdown. Up until that point, it was a solid day, but it became a great day, not just for the Arizona Cardinals and Hopkins and Murray, but for fantasy owners too. It helped Murray out a lot too, who two rushing touchdowns in this game, has that big passing touchdown, only 245 yards, 61 yards on the ground just continues to have this ridiculous floor, continues to have, dare I say, an almost Lamar. It's not going to quite wind up being Lamar Jackson from last year, but pretty close to it. The other storyline that I take out of this game that I thought was really interesting was Kenyon Drake, 16 carries, 100 yards, looks better this game coming off the ankle injury of what I honestly I thought was him coming off early, coming off too soon, and yet physically looked more explosive in this game than he has at any other point this season. That was what was so strange to me. You're coming off of an ankle injury, and you look more explosive now than you did at any other point when you were supposedly healthy. That was crazy. Chase Edmonds went back to being efficient. Eight carries, 56 yards. Tacked on three catches for 21 Continues to lead the way as far as a pass catcher to Kenyon Drake for the most part. Yeah, I think Edmonds is somebody that you're going to contemplate in the flex depending on what the matchup is. And Kenyon Drake has to go back to being an RB2 because he's going to see the volume. 17 total touches in this game. Over 100 yards from scrimmage. And again, like I said, from the eye test, he looked good. Now, I'm going to want to view Chase Edmonds as more of a high-end handcuff than I'm going to want to view him as a guy that I actually want to play in the flex, especially this week against Seattle in the Thursday night game. But somebody who has to continue to be owned, whether you're a Kenyon Drake owner or not, because of the lottery ticket that he presents and his value. But Kenyon Drake, to my surprise, I have to give him credit, looked very good. I think the only disappointment really on the Arizona Cardinals side of things was Christian Kirk. Four catches, 27 yards on six targets. Somebody who has become really a you know high-end wide receiver three option for people to play, people to play in their flexes, 
as a pretty confident option to be able to go with. I still am comfortable with playing Christian Kirk as a flex option for me, or even a wide receiver three in most games, especially this week against Seattle. I'm pretty confident that he can get back to top-end fantasy form against Seattle this week. We should be in line for another shootout on our hands this week on Thursday night. So fire him up there. I'm not going to be too worried about it. He was still the second most targeted receiver in this game. Now we flip things over to Josh Allen's side of the ball. 284 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Tacked on 38 yards rushing. Again, just continues to operate with a high floor, high ceiling ratio. Continues to be a top four quarterback for fantasy football purposes and will be so for the rest of the year. Nothing, nothing really changes there. John Brown gets... Nicked up in this game. Still came out with six catches and 72 yards on eight targets, but he gets nicked up. Cole Beasley thrives. 11 catches, 109 yards, touchdown on 13 targets. Actually led the way. If John Brown misses, or when John Brown gets banged up, Cole Beasley will thrive. But if John Brown's out there healthy playing all four quarters, I'm not expecting much out of Cole Beasley. That This doesn't change that. Stephon Diggs continues his high-volume ways. 10 catches, 93 yards. Does get the touchdown for you in this one, so get you more of that ceiling game. But he hasn't always been able to get you this year off of 11 targets. Still haven't had Stephon Diggs have his big, you know, 150-yard, two-touchdown performances really yet this year. But his consistency, his floor, has been off the chain. Has been more than it's ever been in his entire career. Which is why he continues to be a low-end wide receiver one every single week. Then we get into the backfield. You can look at this as this is the first time we saw Zach Moss finally out-touch David Singletary, if you want to. It wasn't just a 50-50 split, necessarily. It wasn't far off. But seven carries to Devin Singletary's four. Both had a catch apiece for negative yardage. However, seven carries for 20 yards for Zach Moss. Four carries for 15 yards out of Devin Singletary. This is the problem with the Buffalo Bills backfield in general. Not only do you have the nightmare of figuring out, all right, is it Moss or Singletary? And, you know, the arrow has been pointing in Moss's direction. But then you have the added headache of the fact that with Josh Allen, the way this offense has been conducting itself, who knows if the running back position is even going to be involved in the game plan? And I feel like with a lot of teams, that's starting to become a thing where you don't even know if the running back position itself will be involved. So while you're trying to figure out which one to play, while you're trying to figure out exactly what your floor is, what your expectation is, you're not even getting a guy that you can you even know is going to be involved at all. Because of the offense that they're running in. Buffalo, Kansas City. Teams of that nature. Are you even going to be involved? It's a headache. So, while Moss, yeah, he probably needs to be owned. You could probably make an argument why Devin Singletary needs to be owned. I'm not playing either one of these guys if I can at all help it. And at best, they're low-end RB3s. At best. Let's move into the Broncos and the Raiders. Drew Locke, after having two pretty decent back-to-back games, and I talked about that, and I talked about how he's going to actually be a guy hovering around the top 12 quarterback position for me. Gets hurt in this game, got smacked around early on, hurt his ribs. They actually don't know if he's going to play this week. He's going to be very questionable. Make sure you're following along for that. But on top of getting hurt, played horrendously. Four interceptions in this game was just not good. Wasn't himself either, but still, just was not good in this game at all. The Raiders completely dominated. 
K.J. Hamler led the way in targets for what that's worth, four catches, 50 yards. Jerry Judy had eight targets, four catches, 68 yards. Tim Patrick, who got himself ejected in the fourth quarter, had six, has six targets, four catches, 61 yards in this game. So the normal culprits who are usually involved in the passing game were involved. Except for Noah Fant, which technically from a value standpoint had seven targets. Had the seven targets you're looking for, three catches, 18 yards. He's just not 100% either. It's been a while since I've seen Noah Fant look like he can actually get separation and be the mismatch that he really should be. He's just not, from a physical standpoint, he's not close to 100%. It's hard to move off of him because he is getting targeted. It's hard to move off of him because of the landscape of the tight end position. But at this point, I don't know what kind of ceiling you can have in your mind for Noah Fant. But that can be said for a lot of tight ends out there. So my argument would be that you still have to keep him because of the talent, because of the possibility for him to turn things around. But unless he suddenly gets healthy, I don't have a high expectation of never playing Noah Fant any given week. Melvin Gordon dominated the carries in this game, 11-4. Neither one were involved in the passing game at all. But even then, you're still talking about 11 carries for 46 yards. Nothing. This continues to be another nightmare backfield in the NFL for fantasy football purposes. Where you find yourself feeling like you have to play one of them. You have to play Gordon or you have to play Lindsey. And yet more times not getting left with the disappointment of either playing the wrong one or neither one coming through for you at all. That's been another issue for this team. Where now Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, I have to consider them to be RB3 types. Melvin Gordon, maybe a higher end RB3 because he's still getting more of the volume because you know he'll be involved in the passing game more times than not. But there's no ceiling there. Moving on to the Raiders side of the ball. Remember when I told you guys that you had amnesia and that Josh Jacobs was going to be just fine? Yeah, 21 carries in this game, 112 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Even tacked on four catches for 24 yards on four targets as well. So he's actually involved in the passing game at as much of a clip as anybody else on the team. The leading target guy was Darren Waller with five. So he was right there. Now a lot of people are going to say, like, well, what about Devontae Booker who had 16 carries for 81 yards and two touchdowns? That's true. Most of that came in the second half when the game was already well in hand and the Raiders were up. That's when, that's when most of Devontae Booker's touches started to come. Josh Jacobs reestablishing himself as an RB1 and will continue to do so moving forward. Outside of Darren Waller, this passing game is just not consistent. They want to get the, they want to run the ball first. They want to do play action off of that. Darren Waller is the only guy that I know every single week is going to get at least five plus targets heading his way. Everybody else is a complete crapshoot. Whether it's Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Renfro, or Henry Ruggs, who still hasn't really had that big play since week one. And at this point, I don't know how you're rostering a Raiders pass catcher not named Darren Waller at all at this point. Unless you're completely desperate. So let's move on to the Chargers. Let's move on to the Miami Dolphins. The Herbert Tua face-off. Tua, of course, winning this one 29-21. Played solid. Not great for fantasy football purposes, but played solid. 169 yards, two touchdowns. Did what he had to do. Devontae Parker did lead the way in targets with seven. 
but only came away with two catches for 31 yards. Parker, I fear, with Tua, is becoming touchdown dependent. Now, he almost had a touchdown this game, which would have gave him a decent stat line, but I think that's the point. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. You take that touchdown away, you get to see his floor game here. I feel like with Tua, he's becoming touchdown dependent because until the Dolphins get pressed onto the field here and actually have to throw the ball a lot more, which they really haven't had to do yet. Their defense and special teams have been playing so well. They've been setting up their offense so well. I mean, Tua only threw the ball 25 times here. He only threw the ball 28 times last week. Now you thought to yourself with Preston Williams out that Devontae Booker would be head and shoulders the lead targeted guy. And like I said, seven targets is nothing to sneeze at. But this passing game is conservative and it hasn't had to be aggressive yet. And until they find themselves in a matchup where Tua is going to have to do more, where he's going to throw the ball over 30 times, I think Devontae Parker is a touchdown or a bust type of player at the moment. And that's unfortunate, which makes him more of a wide receiver three, not the wide receiver two you were hoping he would be. And we talked about this like maybe with no Preston Williams, we see something similar to last year, but. Because this Miami Dolphins is a much different team and a much more competent team and a much better defense overall, it's going to take a good team to force them to have to be more aggressive, to have to throw it more. I mean, even with what what you would think would be a lack of a running game on paper, Salvin Ahmed comes in, 21 carries, 85 yards, a touchdown. was very good. And Matt Breed is supposed to be back next week. So they're leaning on this running game is something they're they're going to be able to continue to do if they can get performances like this out of guys like Salvin Ahmed, and then Matt Breida who will add another element to them a week a week from now. So we'll have to see. But as far as fantasy volume go, or as far as fantasy value goes, there's not too much I'm excited here with the Miami Dolphins because like I said when Matt Breida comes back, are you going to want to pick up Salvin Ahmed? Now, I don't think Matt Breida will be the bell cow or anything, but a split between the two, yeah, that's probably pretty likely. So I'm not going to really want to touch that. Jakeem Grant has a touchdown here on five targets, four catches, 43 yards. I'm not trusting Jakeem Grant to have consistent volume every single week. So, you know, Devontae Parker, he's... Probably the only guy I'm considering, you know, Mike Kosicki had five targets, two catches, 40 yards in this one. But he's still a touchdown or a bust in my book now moving forward. Switch over to the Chargers side of the ball. Justin Herbert had one of his few bad games, only 187 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't give you too much on the ground. He did get a rushing touchdown to kind of 
you know, give himself a decent floor for this game so he didn't kill you. But really hasn't played great past two weeks now. And then Keenan Allen, he does get a touchdown, so he saves your day that way. But this is the first game in a while that I can remember that he hasn't gotten double-digit targets. Mike Williams, two catches, 38 yards. I mean, that's just the floor that we've come to expect with Mike Williams when he's not having a big day, when he's not getting targeted down the field. The big story out of the Chargers is Kalen Blage. Not only is it the second week in a row that he led this backfield, but Tremaine Pope was back. Somebody who had looked like he was maybe getting involved and had a similar skill set to a Justin Jackson that they would maybe utilize, particularly in the passing game. Tremaine Pope wasn't a thing at all. Didn't even touch the ball. Kalen Balazs had six targets, five catches, 34 yards. Justin Jackson went on the IR. Austin Eckler, we still think, is a few weeks away from coming back. Does that mean Kalen Balazs is going to be the bell cow for the Chargers moving forward? That's kind of the way it seems like it's leaning. And we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about the waiver wire report and, you know, a little bit later in this show. But that, as, I'm not going to want to trust it. It's Kalen Balazs. So take you have to take this performance with a grain of salt. It's, you have to remind yourself it's Kalen Balazs and what that means. But, man, it looks like he's the bell cow back. Especially with him getting involved in the passing game. That was probably the most eye-opening thing to me on top of everything else. I will quickly mention Hunter Henry, four catches, 30 yards, a touchdown, six targets. I mention that because that's somebody that I've been very frustrated with as not beginning in the end zone, finally does in this one but is still in that same lump of, you know, 10 to 20 tight ends as far as what they're going to give you in any given week. But does have six targets, continues to be at least have a floor when it comes to the target share for Hunter Henry. Let's move into the Steelers and the Bengals. Complete dominant performance. Ben Roethlisberger was great. Over 300 yards, four touchdowns. All the receivers were great. Deontay Johnson, six catches, 116 yards, a touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, nine catches, 77 yards, a touchdown. Chase Claypool, four catches, 56 yards, and two touchdowns. All three of them getting double-digit targets. All three of them feasting. All three of them guys that you can plug and play in your lineups every single week from here on out. The only pass catcher that's disappointing was Eric Ebron, two catches, 38 yards on six targets. Still, it'll take the six targets for a tight end. The, real, the only problem here is James Conner, who, again, with a great matchup on paper, completely disappoints. Utterly disappoints. 13 carries, 36 yards, only two catches for 12 yards in this game. Not all James Conner's fault. For the second week in a row, they did the same thing against Dallas. It's as if they've fallen into the, the running back being involved in the game plan as an afterthought. They went five wide. So often in this game. And it wasn't in situations where the game was close. They were going five wide while up multiple touchdowns. Even then, they wouldn't hand the ball off to James Conner just to close the thing out. They were still going five wide, having Roethlisberger throw it around. That's why he wound up with 46 pass attempts. Very similar to what they did with Dallas. Now, Dallas was a close game. Dallas, they had to come back from behind. Dallas made some sense. But it was clear from the get-go that their game plan was that they were just going to continue to spread the Bengals out. And they're only going to run it once in a while just to keep them honest. Again, you have another running back who should have value, but we fall into the situation of we have to question, is the game plan going to call for the running back to really be involved? They have the Jaguars next week. 
Another great matchup. The third great matchup in a row for James Conner. But does he disappoint the third time in a row? I think that has to be the question on everybody's mind. As far as his work share goes, he's still the lead back. There's no question about that. Now it becomes more of an argument of how much is he going to be allowed to be involved within the confines of the offense itself. It'll be interesting against Jacksonville. If they don't allow James Conner to get 18 touches against Jacksonville and allow him to do his thing against Jacksonville, he's going to be somebody who has a very low floor any given week, but somebody you're going to have to play because he's getting the volume. Somebody you're going to have to play as an RB2. Unfortunately, he's going to be stuck in that situation where it's like, you're not going to feel good about it, but what choice do you have? What option? What better option do you have? He's a running back who's leading the way in touches. So for James Conner's sake, I hope that at least gets corrected a little bit where there's a little bit more of a balance on this offense. Part of it, too, is the offensive line. The interior of the Steelers' offensive line just does not get a push. Couldn't get a push against Cincinnati. Now, part of it is that I don't understand this, but the running game became 100% out of shotgun instead of ever being at an under center, which they were doing a little bit more mixing up the formations earlier on in the year. That hasn't really been the case as of late. But when they do that, that offensive line is not built to get a push. And that's a big reason why Connor got 2.8 yards of carry. There was never a hole for him to run through at any point in this game. On the Bengals side of the ball, there's something to watch here. Look, we don't know what's going on with Joe Mixon. Zach Taylor's not telling us anything. We could say Joe Mixon might have a chance to play this week. Who, who knows? He came out today and said, well, I don't have an update for you guys yet. We'll talk Wednesday. Yeah, what? I don't care what Zach Taylor has to say about anything. I'm waiting for Joe Mixon to come back on the practice report. Until then, you know, everyone feels confident about firing up Giovanni Bernard. But this is the second week in a row now, or I should say the second game in a row because they had their bye week last week, where Samaj P. Ryan is a thing. He had seven carries for 48 yards while Bernard had eight carries for 30 yards. Now, here's what I will say, because I actually got to watch a lot of this game. Most of that came at the end of the game. Where the Bengals, and they had the ball last, they were down a bunch, they weren't really trying to come back, they just threw Perrine in the game and just handed the ball off to him a few times in a row. So most of it came when the game no longer mattered. That's the good news. But he had been a thing and gotten a goal line carry two weeks ago in their last game as well. So not necessarily just Bernard getting all the work on the carries. Now, he does dominate when it comes to receptions, and that's what you care about. And he had seven targets in this game, four catches, 17 yards. You knew it was a tough match against Pittsburgh. You knew it wasn't probably going to have a high ceiling. You're hoping maybe he falls into the end zone, because he had done it the last couple games. You continue to play Bernard as an RB2 as long as Joe Mixon continues to miss, but I'm keeping my eye on Samaji Pirine and what his involvement's going to be. Because that's twice now where he's been a little too involved for my taste when I'm already playing a guy that I need him to have the volume in order for him to return the value that I'm looking for. And like I said, as far as Joe Mixon, your guess is as good as mine. Your guess is as good as anybody's in the industry right now. Because unless you're inside the mind of a Joe Mixon, unless you're inside the mind of a Zach Taylor, no one else has any clue what's going on. Still don't even know the actual nature of the injury other than it's this foot. Still don't know. It's absolutely insane. As far as receivers go, T. Higgins, seven catches, 115 yards, a touchdown, and nine targets. He continues to have a great rookie campaign. Tyler Boyd, eight targets, six catches, 41 yards. Those are the two. You know what to expect out of a T. Higgins. You know what to expect out of a Tyler Boyd when it comes to volume every single week with this team now. 
You just do. You know Burrow's going to go to those two guys. The question is now becoming, is it A.J. Green or Alden Tate? All right, who's the third receiver? Alden Tate had four targets. A.J. Green had five. But Alden Tate had two catches for 24 yards. A.J. Green completely goosed. You're not playing A.J. Green. You're not owning A.J. Green. And the same goes for Alden Tate, too. He's not becoming a pickup in my book. You can play Higgins. You can play Boyd. Outside of that, if anybody else does anything that's not a running back, good for them. Not going to matter for you for your fantasy football leagues. Just not. Now, let's talk about the Saints and the 49ers, a game that we're going to have to get in some serious news about and also talk about on the waiver wire report, especially on the Saints side of the ball. Drew Brees goes down. We did find out that he is going to probably look look at a two- to three-week timetable. Sounds like the Saints are going to avoid using the IR, so at least going to leave the door open that he can be back within three weeks. But he's definitely going to miss this week and probably going to miss next week as well. And that means Jameis Winston, baby. Jameis Winston as New Orleans Saints quarterback. He's going to be fantasy. He's going to be a fantasy thing. He's going to be a guy that we're going to talk about as a possible top 12 option, as a definite streamer option. And I'm going to wait till the waiver wire report to get into more to him and what our analysis on him is going to be moving forward. Alvin Kamara, while he was absolutely terrible in the ground game, tremendous in the passing game, and scores three touchdowns. Three. So after going through a little bit of a drought, he scored last week, and then this week he drops three touchdowns. Eight carries, 15 yards, 1.9 yards a carry to Latavius Murray, who actually was efficient on the ground, 6.3 yards carry, nine carries, 57 yards. But the big difference, Alvin Kamara was the leading receiver on the day. Seven catches, 83 yards, a touchdown through the air on eight targets. That is significant because... One of the concerns that I had about Alvin Kamara and his ceiling was that with Michael Thomas back, was he going to still get his outrageous amount of targets? So to see him in this game, where we had to watch Jameis Winston come in and play a significant amount of this game, to lead the way, to lead the team in targets is definitely a good feeling for what you need Alvin Kamara to be able to do for you moving forward, and can maintain his top elite RB3 status. I mean, he won people some leagues this week, especially against this 49er tough defense, which showed why they're so tough, because it wasn't like they had success running the football. I know Michael Thomas, two catches, 27 yards, seven targets, completely disappointing. Not the best matchup in the world. Better days are ahead. And like I said, we're going to talk about Michael Thomas and Jameis Winston and all that in the waiver wire report coming up in a little bit. So let's flip it over for now. Oh, Jared Cook, who also gooses you. He's somebody who has kind of fallen off my streaming range of tight ends lately anyway because he has just not been very involved. But when we switch over to the 49ers side of the ball and talk about the tight end position, talk about somebody who I do want you guys to pick up, somebody who I do think actually has a decent floor more times, not Jordan Reed on the other side of this. Six targets, five catches, 62 yards. So something to kind of keep your eye on, when, especially when you're looking for tight ends. Of course, the big pass catcher on the day for the 49ers, to be expected, Brandon Ayuk, seven catches, 75 yards, had a touchdown, 14 targets. That's the most he's been targeted. Very impressive in that one. Debo Samuel, he may be back... When they come out of the bye, remember they go into a bye week 11, they'll be back week 12. So Debo Samuel may be back. That, of course, will cut into Brandon Ayuk's target share, making him more of a high-end wide receiver four, low-end wide receiver three type of player rather than a solidified wide receiver three type. 
with wide receiver two potential that he's really been the past couple of weeks. So Brandon Ayuk, somebody that I'm keeping on my fantasy rosters if I had the space for him just to see if D.U.S. Samuel does come back because if he doesn't, he's developed and molded himself into this team's number one target and a capable fantasy producer, especially with the amount that he's involved in the offense. Now, outside of that, we got to talk about the running game. Jarek McKinnon had 18 carries. It was, again, a Jarek McKinnon game, but also Jamichael Hasty had a bad injury. He might be done for the year. However, again, with the 49ers going into the bye, there's a good chance coming out of Week 12, they're looking at a return out of Raheem Mostert. They're looking at a return out of Tevin Coleman. So McKinnon may go back to being the third running back anyway. And if you're a Raheem Mostert owner and you've been worried about what your volume may be when he comes back, don't be. This team is so desperate for offensive playmakers. Raheem Mostert will walk right into being the lead guy. There's no doubt about that. He is the best weapon that they're going to have at any point this season. Now, is there a decent chance he winds up getting hurt within a game and a half again like he did last time? Yeah, unfortunately, that's just the territory that is Raheem Mostert. But as soon as he comes back, you have him, you better play him because he has as big of a ceiling as anybody with his big play capabilities, and this 49 offense is going to need him back in a big way. Nick Mullins himself was, eh, 247 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. I'm questioning how long it is before they go back to giving C.J. Bathard another shot at being the starting quarterback. I don't think there's any reason why Nick Mullins has solidified himself as the starter every single week from here on out. So it's going to be very curious to see what the 49ers are able to do, who they're able to get back healthy, and what they decide to do at the quarterback position going into the bye week, frankly. But let's move on. Let's move to the Seattle Seahawks. Let's move into the Rams. The first game this year that the Seahawks offense was just held in complete check. Now, from what we understand, Tyler Lockett has a little bit of a knee sprain is how Pete Carroll called it. So who knows what that actually means. But it sounds like he's not rolled out for Thursday. I guess that could be the good news, although it's tough if he does have any kind of an knee sprain, no matter how minor it is. It's tough to imagine, one, him definitely playing this Thursday, but two, if he does play, how effective is he really going to be? Now, he was the number one wide receiver in this game for the Seattle Seahawks, not saying much. Five catches, 66 yards, but nine targets. Metcalf, which is completely held in check by Jalen Ramsey this entire game. Two catches, 28 yards, four targets. The only thing that would worry me if I'm a DK Metcalf owner is that you also have to deal with the fact that he's going to go back on Thursday, play the Cardinals, play Patrick Peterson, which was the last time he was held in check. Now, if Tyler Lockett is banged up and he can't do what you know he did the last time against the Arizona Cardinals as a result, then DK Metcalf might actually get force-fed too. Because remember, a lot of that game was more about the fact that they were just looking at Tyler Lockett's way because he was destroying Kirkpatrick on the other side rather than trying to force the issue towards Patrick Peterson with, with DK Metcalf. Russell, There's a good chance Russell Wilson's going to look to target Metcalf a little bit more in this game than we saw that time around. So, again, if Lockett plays, you're going to play him against the Arizona Cardinals. You have to. Even though he's been kind of a hit-or-miss wide receiver, you have to continue to play him every single week. Metcalf, you're still going to play him with confidence. Russell Wilson, you're still going to play him with confidence, even though he looks like he's been imploding a little bit. It was funny. I would, I was just talking about this, you know, about a month ago, and I said, you know, with the way Russell Wilson's playing, 
The one thing I've always disliked about him when it came to fantasy football is that at some point during the season, he always seems to have this four-game stretch where he just gets cold out of nowhere. Whether it's beginning of the season, end of the season, he has this four-game stretch where he just gets cold on you. And other than this game, though, from a fantasy standpoint, he's been completely fine. He's been in the top five. But he's been a turnover machine now for the past three games in a row. Big reason why Seattle's losing, because they don't have the defense to stop anybody. So if Russell Wilson's turning over the ball on top of it, it becomes very difficult for Seattle to win games. Just wasn't very good in this one. The Rams played a great defensive matchup. No doubt about that. A lot of credit deserves to go to the Rams here. I'm not worried about Russell Wilson and his fantasy value. I expect it to be a shootout on Thursday. But just very interesting to see the last few games... He's been a bit cold, and he's been a bit of a turnover machine, and it's something to kind of watch because, like I said, he has a history of going ice cold for a stretch, and I wonder if we might be getting into that stretch right now. On Is it almost unthinkable after watching the season he's had to this point? It is, especially with the weapons that he has, but it is a historical pattern that we have to keep our eyes out on. As far as the rushing game goes, so much for DJ Dallas. Alex Collins, 11 carries, 43 yards, a touchdown. This might be the only game Alex Collins is relevant for. He's not on the waiver wire report for that reason because it sounds like they do expect Carlos Hyde to be back. Now, they don't know about Chris Carson. But if Carlos Hyde is going to be back, I have to believe he'll be the starter. However, I don't know how much I'm going to want to play Carlos Hyde, and I'll get into that when we get to go through my numbers and everything else. But with Alex Collins, one, he actually looked half-decent. Two, he has the history with Seattle. And three, with Carlos Hyde coming off the hamstring issue, I would not be surprised if him and Alex Collins were splitting touches to some degree in this game. With Travis Homer still probably by you know being involved in the passing game to some degree as well. So I don't know. If it's not Chris Carson, I don't know if I'm going to bother to touch a Seattle running back this week even if Carlos Hyde is back. Unless they come out right away and say, Carlos Hyde's going to be the starter, Carlos Hyde's going to be the guy because he's the one back, I don't know if I totally buy that Alex Collins is going to disappear because Pete Carroll loves him some Alex Collins. That should have been evident in this game. So something to kind of keep your eyes on moving forward. Flip it over to the Rams side of the ball. Goff was disappointing and he wasn't at the same time. You can't really get mad at him because if you watch this game, well, he played really well. He did. 27-37, 300 yards. The problem was, he didn't score a touchdown. The problem was, really in general, the Rams defense played so well that they mostly just played ball control on offense and didn't try to get aggressive and didn't have to. So that's why Cooper Cup was a disappointment at 5 catches, 50 yards. That's why Robert Woods was a disappointment at 5 catches, 33 yards. The guy that, of course, everybody played, you know, Josh Reynolds, right? Number one wide receiver on the Rams, eight catches, 94 yards. He's the only guy who actually had a decent fantasy day. And, of course, I'm being facetious, he's the only guy who wasn't in your lineup to begin with. It just, this game did not go the way you expected it to, the way game scripts normally have gone against the Seattle Seahawks. And Cooper Cup and Robert Woods just continue to be more high-end wide receiver threes than wide receiver twos. Unfortunately. And they have to be forced into game scripts where Jared Goff has to throw the ball more than the Rams would like him to in order for them to have the value and have the volume that they need. Which could happen next week against Tampa Bay on the road in Tampa Bay. I think that is a game that has 
Cooper Cup and Robert Woods high volume written all over it and a terrible game out of Jared Goff. As far as the running back position, Cam Akers led the way with the most carries, 10 carries, 38 yards. Dale Henderson wasn't 100% himself yet. He still ran in for a touchdown if you did play him. Malcolm Brown, of course, had two touchdowns, but just all three of these running backs were involved. Dale Henderson's still the guy that I want to play of the three. But again, it's another situation where figuring out the running back rotation, figuring out who's going to get the volume, is an absolute nightmare. So let's move into what I could probably consider the, the surprise of the week. The New England Patriots beating the Baltimore Ravens 23-17. I don't know how that happened. Uh, after watching the, the Patriots play the Jets and how they struggled in that game against the New York Jets on both sides of the ball, I didn't think they had a chance against the Baltimore Ravens. And yep, the Ravens haven't been sharp. But they just got done beating the Colts who are a much better team than New England Patriots. And even though that game didn't look pretty, they did what they had to do at the end of the day. This is a game I thought the Ravens actually had an opportunity to get right, to get Lamar Jackson right. Here's the problem. Greg Roman flushed his brain down the toilet in the offseason. It's not coming back. It's not. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The play calling is predictable. You can tell what's coming based on the formation. There's no pre-snap motion. We talked about that before. He's not getting mismatches. He's not being creative. And what did I tell you guys? Mark Ingram came back, and what did I say? If Mark Ingram comes back in this game, no Ravens running back is fantasy worthy. Seven carries, 42 yards for Gus Edwards. Five carries, 13 yards for J.K. Dobbins. Five carries for five yards out of Mark Ingram. So not only has the play calling continued to be incredibly predictable and ridiculous and just unimaginative, now you have you go back to this thing of needing to play all three running backs for absolutely no reason, rendering your running game essentially outside of Lamar Jackson useless. Because none of these running backs are allowed to get in the rhythm if you're playing all three of them. You should have seen that the past couple of weeks where the Colts game wasn't a lot of success, but you were getting to rhythm against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Both Dobbins and Edwards were looking better. And I talked about this before. It's not Mark Ingram. You have to just use two. Pick two, stick with two. Continue to use three. Ravens are continuing not to have a running game. If Ravens don't have a running game, they don't have an offense. Plain and simple. That's that's just how it boils down. 
Lamar Jackson himself, 55 yards on the ground, 249 yards through the air, two touchdowns, still had the pick. From a fantasy day, really, frankly, better than what you've gotten recently, quite honestly. But still not still not great, still not what you expected in this game against the Patriots after what we saw Monday night with them against the Jets. And Willie Sneed, you know, of course, Willie, everybody had Willie Sneed as number one target, right? Number one wide receiver for the Ravens, five catches, 64 yards, two touchdowns, fantasy irrelevant. I will say this, the only thing that actually made me feel better when it comes to a fantasy perspective about the Ravens is Mark Andrews. Seven catches, 61 yards, nine targets. There was fine emphasis to get Mark Andrews the ball. Nick Boyle went down in this game. What they're going to do with that second tight end, I don't know. That just hinders the running game that much more. It'll be interesting to see. But it was good to see them actually make an emphasis to try to get Mark Andrews the ball. Still didn't do a good job of getting Marquise Brown the ball. Two catches, 14 yards on six targets. Marquise Brown has entered himself as somebody that I can't drop him because of you know, his talent and the fact that more times than not, he should be the number one wide receiver in that offense and, and the big play capability that he has, even though he hasn't really shown it this year. I can't really drop him. But there's no way that I feel good about playing him. There's no way I am playing him until I see it, frankly, at this point. Or unless there's some kind of radical change from the Baltimore Ravens, I don't think we're going to see it's really a shame what's happened to this offense. And the Ravens, just, they just don't feel like a team at 6-3. and three. Flipping over to the Patriots' side of the ball, nobody was playing Cam Newton. In fact, I would go on a limb and say that there's a decent chance that there's a lot of leagues out there that weren't playing a single New England Patriot in this game. I know I didn't really want to if I could help it. And yet, Damian Harris, 121 yards, looked great. Now, that... That precluded me to a bigger overall thought, a bigger overall discussion. Which was, without Calais Campbell, are the Ravens suddenly a team that you can run on? Now, of course, with the Patriots, we know there's going to be a more concerted effort to run the football because they have to in order to move the football. But Damian Harris, one, he's looked pretty good himself. We'll talk about him in a second. But two, this is the first game we saw without Calais Campbell which should still be a stacked front seven, and yet you knew they were coming with the running game, and yet they still couldn't stop it. So I'm very interested now, as long as Calais Campbell continues to miss, is this a team that you can actually maybe run on that you couldn't before? Something to watch. Damian Harris himself, like I said, Sony Michelle's been out. I don't see, after the month or so now that Damian Harris has had, I don't see how you bring back Sony Michelle into this rotation. Damian Harris has been much more explosive, He's broken tackles a lot better. Just been overall much more effective. I don't see how you move on from Damian Harris. Jacoby Myers, granted came on a passing touchdown, but he still finds a way to have a very good fantasy day. Seven targets, five catches, 59 yards, along with that passing touchdown. Jacoby Myers is somebody I think is going to be entering my week-to-week wide receiver three conversation now. We know the targets are going to be there every single week. He's really the only the only apple in Cam Newton's eye. We still don't know when Nikhil Harry's going to come back. I highly doubt Julian Edelman's even going to come back at all this season, at period. So, I think you're good with Jacoby Myers really being a real asset. Week in and week out, moving forward. A consistent high floor asset at that. And Cam Newton. Cam Newton... Gives a passing touchdown, something he hasn't actually done for a while, but again finds a way to tack on a rushing touchdown. 
if you feel like it's a matchup that you think Cam Newton has a half-decent shot at scoring a rushing touchdown, then he's, you know, he's fantasy quarterback worthy. It's all it boils down to. It's never going to be pretty statistically passing the football. It's just not. He only threw the ball 17 times in this game. That was just the incredible thing. But if you think, and this wasn't a matchup where I thought he would have had that opportunity, but if you feel like he's in a situation where you like his chances to get you a rushing touchdown, he's probably going to lead all quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns this year, then you can play him from a fantasy football standpoint. But you're dependent upon those rushing numbers. Let's make that clear. But he's hovering right around that QB 12 area, and will continue to do so. So now we move into the Monday night game, which was really every bit of the boring game that we essentially expected it to be. It's always boring when you have to face the Chicago Bear offense. Nick Foles actually got banged up late in this game, got carted off. We're going to see what happens because Mitchell Trubisky is not going to be back, at least not next week. If Nick Foles can't be back and after getting carted off, I have some serious doubts about that. We might truly be seeing Tyler Bray as a starting quarterback coming out of the bye week in week 12. That's a real possibility on the Bears Thankfully for them, get a bye week in a a most crucial way possible after all this. But there's a real chance here coming out of week 12, Tyler Bray could really legitimately be the starting quarterback of the team. Be very interesting to see. We will see David Montgomery back, I believe, week 12 as well. But what that means for guys like Allen Robinson and Jimmy Graham, who completely gooses you in this one, remains to be seen. Jimmy Graham just kind of, he just followed suit with the rest of the tight ends this week of just absolutely being horrendous, goosing you 100%. A tight end who had actually had culminated a decent floor of targets for himself, had been a number one red zone target, really as a tight end position in general, and which is completely not utilized. Targeted once in the red zone in this game, targeted twice total for the game, and absolutely goosed you for the rest. Allen Robinson led the way in targets, as you would expect him to, but only six catches, 43 yards. Again, this is an offense where it doesn't really matter if you're getting all kinds of volume. David Montgomery gives all kinds of volume. There's no ceiling to an offense that can't score points. And that's essentially what's going on with Chicago Bears. In David Montgomery's absence, it was pretty much all Cordell or Patterson in this game. 12 carries, 30 yards, 2 catches, 19 yards. Again, it doesn't matter when you're in an offense that does not score points. On the other side of the ball, Minnesota, Dalvin Cook finally held in check. 30 carries for only 96 yards in this game. Akeem Hicks did get banged up in this game. We all know that when Hicks gets banged up, you can start to run on the Chicago team. So something to also be watching coming out of the bye if he's able to recover from the hamstring injury they picked up in that game when you're going up against Chicago as a running back. Something we're going to have to watch coming out of the bye again. But for the first time in a few weeks now, Dalvin Cook actually held in check to some degree and yet still manages to get you 96 yards and 16 yards through the air. Still get you over 100 yards from scrimmage as a game in which Dalvin Cook is held in check. you got to feel pretty good about that if you're a Dalvin Cook owner moving forward to continue your elite RB1 status. Adam Thielen, only four catches, 43 yards, does come through with two touchdowns in this game, though. And Justin Jefferson making a reappearance to fantasy relevance with eight catches for 135 yards on 10 targets. This team goes to play Dallas next week. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook will all be must plays for me heading into next week against Dallas. Kirk Cousins may even enter the borderline streaming quarterback territory as he finally gets a win on Monday Night Football. 
and actually played a good game too. 292 yards, two touchdowns, did have the interception, but all in all was a decent game out of Kirk Cousins. The most important thing is he didn't implode, something he tends to do on Monday Night Football. And again, like I said, because they're playing Dallas next week, and they have Jefferson, and they have Adam Thielen, there's a chance he could at least be in the bottom tier quarterback streaming territory. That wraps it up for all of the recap games. So now what we're going to do is we're going to turn around, quickly go over the waiver wire report that we have for you guys as we're up against the clock. But this is the most important part of the show, I believe, because this signifies us moving on, moving on into week 11. That's right, week 11. There are three games left in your regular season. So making moves now matters a ton. So even waiver moves that don't necessarily have a ton of value, face value on them for this week, making moves for your playoffs, whether it's picking up a defense that has a nice playoff, it has a nice playoff schedule, whether it's picking up your handcuffs, your running backs now, so that way you don't have to fight for them over the waiver wire in case something happens. Making moves to solidify your roster construction is the most important thing that you could be doing as far as waiver wire, or if you're in a league with a Week 12 trade deadline, taking advantage of the last couple weeks you have left to be able to make trades. If you're in a position to make the playoffs, that's your number one focus. But these are players that are going to have some value down the road. These are also players that you have to take into consideration when heading into Week 11. And overall, there's not huge names on the list, but there's actually a decent amount of talent here, I believe, that you can kind of go after. Talked about Kalen Balazs. Look, he's going to be a guy who seems like he's going to be the lead back with Justin Jackson out. We don't know when Austin Eckler's coming back. Like I said with Kalen Blage, the big thing about him is that he was involved in the passing game. If that's something that's to continue, then he might actually have enough volume to be a high-end RB3 for this Chargers team right now that has to use the running game at times. So Kalen Balazs is definitely somebody that will be high on my waiver wide priority list, especially if I'm looking for a running back to fill in. I'd have to use think about using 15% of my fab budget on him. Now remember, you're still probably looking at two weeks, maybe three weeks tops of him actually being the starter here with, with Justin Jackson on the IR for at least the next three weeks with Austin Eckler possibly back in the next three weeks himself. So there's not a rest of the season issue here, which is why I'm not going to go crazy over Kalen Balazs, who frankly, him in and of himself is hard to trust moving forward. But something you have to recognize, something you have to take into consideration you have to at least have him on your radar. I'll consider him at 15 to 20%, depending on how much I need a running back for this upcoming week, for the next couple of weeks. And I would use a priority on him, again, if I need a running back over the next few weeks for sure. He's somebody who's definitely going to be up there. Another guy, very low-owned, very widely available, definitely somebody who I'd like to have over the next few weeks if I've been streaming at quarterback, and that's James Winston. Look, James Winston's going to come into a great situation. He has a lot of weapons. Is he going to be the you know no-risk-it-no-biscuit quarterback that we saw him last year where he was fantasy-relevant? No. He's going to probably play it a little bit more conservative. But at the same time, this is still Jameis Winston who has the arm, who wants to go down the field when given the opportunity, an element to the Saints offense that we haven't had this season with Drew Brees. So that goes to say with Michael Thomas, I talked about how I would talk about that later in the show. I think there's actually an element that gets added to Michael Thomas's game with Jameis Winston as the starting quarterback. 
I don't think the targets go down. People are, a lot of people are talking about how they would think they would have to lower Michael Thomas to some degree. I don't see why you would. The targets are going to go away. He's not going to target Emmanuel Sanders more. He's going to target Michael Thomas. I think the only question is who's the better pass catcher or who's the more targeted guy, Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara? That's not going to be the issue. I think if anything... The only thing you would, you would downgrade him on is if you're worried about the consistent accuracy of a Jameis Winston or the turnover rate, which I could understand. But again, because Jameis Winston actually has the ability to go deep, that adds an element to this offense that we haven't seen yet, and it could add a ceiling to Michael Thomas's game that we frankly just haven't had yet this season. So I'm okay with that, especially going up against Atlanta next week. Not only is Jameis Winston a guy who's going to probably be my top 12 of quarterbacks in a prime matchup against the Atlanta Falcons, but I think he actually helps Michael Thomas in some pieces of this offense. Another quarterback, believe it or not, we have to consider him, is Alex Smith. 3.6% owned. Again, Washington finds themselves in a situation where they're having to come back from behind over and over and over again. Because frankly, their offense doesn't do anything until the second half. That's just how Washington's been built all season long. And as long as Alex Smith is going to have his little J.D. McKissick to check it down to, and he's going to have Terry McLaurin to go to, in certain matchups, you know what? Alex Smith is going to be somebody who has to at least be on the streaming territory. He's got two games back-to-back where he's gone over 300 yards, and he's only started in one of them. And he had 390. He was 10 yards away from 400 yards last week. They're not afraid to throw the football with him right now. So it's crazy to think, but Alex Smith might actually be fantasy relevant if you've been streaming quarterbacks and you lose out on the Jameis Winston sweepstakes. Next guy I want to talk about, I'm not using a priority on him. I'm not using fad budget on him. But Michael Pittman at 5% owned. If there has been a pass catcher of the Colts that has shown any promise to actually being a thing on a week-to-week basis, it's been Michael Pittman over the past couple of weeks. He's led the way in targets. Even last week when T.Y. Hilton was back, he went over 100 yards last week. Now, again, ultimately, if I don't have to play a Colts pass catcher, I'm not going to because Phillip Rivers has been so pathetic this season. But... Michael Pittman is the one guy, especially if he starts to get targeted in the red zone, where I could see there being some promise as we move forward if you're looking deep at the wide receiver position. Again, that's why I say if you can get him, you get him for free. Still not crazy about it, but definitely a guy that would be at least on my radar when looking at some of these other wide receivers. But there's definitely better guys to go after, and we'll talk about a few in a minute. Jordan Reed at 15% owned. I think he needs to be a top prick up, especially if you've been somebody who's been looking for tight ends. I know they go into a bye week, week 11. So again, this comes down to roster construction. Do you have a roster spot to burn? Are you in position to make the playoffs? Because if you might be all out on, you know, right, you might be in playoff mode right now at week 11, just trying to make it there. You might not be able to waste a roster spot on a player who's heading into a bye. But if you can, that would be the proper move because you need tight ends. Jordan Reed is at least somebody that I have confidence will be not only part of the game plan, but have a consistent floor on a week-to-week basis as long as he's healthy. So Jordan Reed is somebody I do think you need to go after if you have the spot to be able to utilize a guy who's going on to a bye week. Now, next up, talk about some of these wide receivers. We have a list of them right here for you that I would take over Michael Pittman. And that starts with Tim Patrick at 15% owned. I keep talking about him. He's heavily involved in the offense. I know he got ejected in the fourth quarter. But until that point, he had pretty much been the lead receiver for the Denver Broncos that game. We'll have to see exactly what's going on with Drew Locke as well. But Tim Patrick continues to be a guy who has touchdown potential, has wide receiver three potential because of the role that he's playing within that offense. But I still don't like him. 
as much as I like Jacoby Myers, who was only 23% owned. So Jacoby Myers, on average, is still widely available right now. I don't know why. He's been on my list for the past couple of weeks. MD Nation, go get this guy. I'm using a priority. I'm using 20% of my fad budget because this is a guy that we're talking about who's going to be averaging between seven and double-digit targets every single week with the Patriots. They play the Houston Texans next week. It's a beautiful matchup. He plays the slot, so you don't have to worry about him against the perimeter wide receiver perimeter corners as much there is a safe floor right now it comes to Kobe Myers and he's playing so well that you're actually getting a bit of a ceiling you're getting a guy who can be a high-end wide receiver three for you right now at the moment Kobe Myers should be a top priority for you guys to pick up especially those who need wide receiver help Jalen Rager, 24%. Again, more of a guy that I'm looking at as if I need a boom or bust option. He did lead the team in targets this past week. I think he is the one guy who actually has a solidified role because they need that Deshaun Jackson type. They need that big play type to be starting, to be out in the field, whether it's an Alshon Jeffrey or Travis Fulgham on the other side, I think that is going to be determined moving forward. But I think Jalen Rager's role within this offense is safe, and the volume should be there, and it's only a matter of time before he starts to hit those big plays, given his ability. So Jalen Rager, 24% owned, if you're looking for a boomer bust option, is interesting. Not spending fab on him, though. Not going after a priority for him either. This next guy, you know, Sammy Watkins, I am going to contemplate moving him fab on 10 to 15%. I will look to pick him up as a priority pickup. Sammy Watkins, 28% owned, widely available. This is a guy who's getting consistent amount of targets with the Chiefs. And if you look at what the Chiefs have been doing lately, we'll see if it changes coming out of the bye. But by them pretty much ignoring the running back unit altogether, more or less to do with the offensive line, more or less to do with Andy Reid in general because of how he functions you have Sammy Watkins who's going to be walking into seven to nine targets in this Kansas City Chief offense. A guy who was playing very well at this beginning of this season. This was not the Sammy Watkins of last year. He had been consistently involved throughout the game plan over the past few weeks before he got injured with this hamstring issue. They go up against the Raiders next week. I would definitely like me some Sammy Watkins as a wide receiver three. A guy I think you can definitely play with some confidence and should be a top priority pickup for you guys out there. Same thing goes with Matt Breida. 29% owned. Again, Salvin Ahmed played well enough, and Matt Breida being the injury risk that he is, being a guy that they seemingly don't ever really want to give the full workload to, no matter what the situation is, he should at least be in the mix. I think he'll be an RB3 heading into this upcoming week. Somebody that you should pick up and play. Remember, when it comes to running backs, you just need a guy with a pulse sometimes. Matt Breida should be that guy. Another wide receiver, Alan Lazard, 31% owned on my list again this week. They have to activate him by Wednesday or lose that option. So whether or not he's ready to play this week, I expect Alan Lazard to be activated. But the comments that we heard out of Matt LaFleur indicate to me at least that they think there's a good chance that Alan Lazard will in fact be playing this upcoming week. Somebody should go ahead, pick up as that number two wide receiver, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers having an MVP-like season, and Russell Wilson keeps doing what he's doing, it could be Rodgers for MVP. I'm picking up Alan Lazard, if at all possible. Again, 10 to 15% of my fad budget, depending on how much I need a wide receiver. I'm not going to spend a top five priority on him, because we still don't know a lot with him coming back, how healthy, how ready he's going to be, what kind of shape he's going to be in, but he is somebody who's definitely going to be on my list. Wayne Gallman. Only 30.5% owned. I don't know how that's the case. I know I hate Wade Gallman as much as the next guy. I don't want to trust the Wayne Gallman as much as the next guy. But 
My goodness, this guy's on a three-game touchdown streak, two touchdowns this past week. I, you have to continue to play him. Now that we know that Devonta Freeman is going to be on the IR for the next three weeks, I have to imagine Wayne Goldman's roster ability is going to shoot through the roof. If you've been needing a running back just to have a guy that you know you're going to probably have as the starting running back over the next three weeks here, I know the Giants go on by this week, but that means you still get two more weeks out of him, week 12, week 13. I'm going to spend 20 25% of my fab budget on him, and I'm going to find the roster space to have a guy who's going on by. That may leave the door open for you to possibly be able to get him a little bit cheaper than that, cheaper than you normally would, but I wouldn't count on it with the way he's played over the past few weeks and now the news that Freeman will be on the IR as well. So Wayne Gallman, definitely a top priority for me heading into this waiver wire report. Next guy, Naeem Hines, 41% owned. He has to make the list because of the game that he just had. He has to make the list because of all the Colts running backs. He's the only one with a solidified role. But again, I don't want to trust the Colts running back. I don't want to touch a Colts running back if I can at all help it. I don't want to touch the Colts, period, for fantasy football if I can at all help it. That includes Jonathan Taylor now at this point. But with the way Naeem Hines looked last week, with knowing that he has the pass-catching down role when they find themselves in games in which they're going to have to throw, and they're playing the Packers this week, so there's a decent chance they're going to have to actually score some points in this one and be forced to throw the ball. Naeem Hines has a more predictable game script going into each week than the other two do. So I think there's an instance where you can use him, especially when talking about full-point PPR leagues. I wouldn't expect him to lead the way in carries too much more than like he did last week, but I do think Naeem Hines can be a flex play depending on the situation. And the last guy, he's also going to be well over 50% owned after this week, given the game that he just had the Sunday night. But Damian Harris, 43% owned. That means he's still on average 57% available to you guys out there. I don't believe Sony Michelle is going to usurp him and take this job back. They're playing the Houston Texans this upcoming week. If Damian Harris is out there and available, he needs to be your number one waiver priority pickup. I'm spending my top priority on him. I'm spending 30% of my fad budget on him because I do believe he's going to be the running back. I think the Patriots, if nothing else over the past couple of weeks, have shown that they understand what their identity has to be, and it has to be Damian Harris running alongside of Cam Newton. Does it... Does it stink that he has a limited ceiling because you have Cam Newton or even Rex Burkhead seemingly vulturing touchdowns from him on a consistent basis? Yeah, but he's gone over 100 yards three of the last four games. He's looked very good. The touchdowns, I think, will come here and there. He's a very high floor RB3 right now with the way the Patriots are moving the ball on offense and my top priority pickup of the week. I don't care what the situation is for your leagues. That wraps it up for the waiver wire report. That wraps it up for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We were able to jam pack a lot of content content in today's show. We will be back on Thursday again, 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network WWSRN presented to you by Belly Up Sports. Make sure you're checking out our rankings which our first draft for week 11 will be out to you guys by Thursday morning on BellyUpFantasySports.com. Make sure you're listening to this show or any other one of our shows on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you want to go for your streaming apps. We are widely available to you guys. Everybody stay safe, stay happy. We'll see you on Thursday with our preview episode getting before our big shootout game of the week with the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. So stay tuned until then.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 